I don't know about you, but I think it's possible that I have heard the Christmas story so many times as it's told in the Gospels that I may have gotten a little jaded and lost the wonder of the simple fact that God came down to earth. He chose to come down to earth and live in human form. I've heard it for all of my life. I've lost the wonder, or I risk at least losing the wonder, that the God of the universe would choose to come to earth not as a full-grown man, but would come to earth as a newborn baby by his choice. That he would be born of a virgin, that his birth would be announced by an angel to Mary and to Joseph, that wise men would visit him, travel hundreds of miles, guided by a single solitary star. That not one, but an army of angels would visit shepherds on a hillside and announce Jesus' birth. And that they would find him in this off-the-beaten-path barn in Bethlehem and worship him. And that the prophecy of his birthplace in Bethlehem would be fulfilled hundreds of years later through the decree of a pagan Roman emperor who had no idea of the prophecies. And it just goes on and on. There is wonder around the birth of Jesus. I think it's easy to miss, in addition to the wonder, it's easy to miss the angst and the pain and the trouble that accompanied Jesus' birth. The coming of the Christ child was good news for mankind, but it was not easy news for Mary. In Luke 1, the account of Jesus' birth begins with God sending the angel Gabriel to the young girl Mary, and the angel tells her that God's powerful spirit, the same spirit that brooded over the earth on opening day, would come over her, would create a miracle in her womb. And the child she would carry would be the one the prophets foretold and the nation of Israel had awaited for centuries. Mary, an unknown teenage girl, would give birth to God's Son. We're so familiar with the story that we can easily think of Mary as little more than a compliant carrier for the Son of God. But there's a strength to her character that should not be overlooked. Because however surprising and joyous the news of Jesus' coming is for us, it ripped Mary's life apart at the seams. It brought pain and trouble for her that would follow her the rest of her life. And so maybe the biggest surprise the day, that day was not the appearance of the angel. It wasn't the announcement that this teenage virgin would have a son. Maybe the biggest surprise was that Mary consented to all of this with a single spoken prayer. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. So this good news that was delivered by Gabriel to Mary was not easy news. We need to remember that Mary's I am to Gabriel came months before her I do to Joseph. She was already engaged to Joseph, which amounted to a formal agreement between their families. The bridal price had been paid, 
she was legally in a situation where she belonged to Joseph. Publicly, they could call each other husband and wife. And typically, those engagements would last anywhere from a year to several years. And during that time, they would still live separately while they prepared for their wedding day and the time they'd move into a house together. Families made these formal agreements usually when their daughter was between the age of 12 and 14. And it was typical for the marriage to take place when the daughter was somewhere before the age of 16. Mary was promised to Joseph, legally belonged to Joseph, but they weren't married. And this teenager who loved God deeply had just learned from Gabriel that she was about to become pregnant in a way that no other woman in history had ever conceived. In the harsh realities of the real world, trouble was coming for Mary. Small towns have never been especially kind to pregnant teens. And it's clear if you read the Gospels that Joseph was absolutely certain he was not the father of this baby. It's not likely that many people were going to believe Mary's story that God got me pregnant. Really, Mary? (laughs) Really? Never happened before, and you're the first? Right, right. So tongues would start to wag in the town, and people would start the process of trying to figure out who the real father was she would be labeled an adulteress because she didn't make any claim that she'd been forcibly violated. According to the law, the consequences were clear. This was not just a sin against Joseph. This was not just a sin against God. This was a sin against society. The law said if a man happens to meet a virgin in a town and she's married to somebody else and she sleeps with him, take both of them to the gate of the town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and she didn't scream for help. And the man, because he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil from among you. The evil. Evil. I mean, I've, I've read the story of the birth of Jesus every year all my life. Well, not the first five or six, but most of my life. Never once did I think about Mary wearing the label evil. Did you? I mean, we we think about Mary, we call her blessed. The Virgin Mary. But to the people who knew her in that little town, the stigma she immediately carried from the the point she was discovered to be pregnant was evil. She lived her whole life following God. Lived her whole life Loving God. Even Gabriel said, you found favor with God. That's not a small compliment. She's thoughtful, obedient, believing, worshipful. She's done everything right. She's the good kid. And she's headed now into tougher times in her life than I think any one of us will ever face. In a very real sense, Mary suffered for Jesus before he ever suffered for her. And though the Bible doesn't give us a complete biography on her, we get a glimpse into what happens with Mary shortly after she gets the news. Luke tells us that she gets ready and she hurries into a town in the hill country of Judea. 
look at the geography for Mary, this was about a three days journey. For us, it'd be like getting in a car and driving to L.A. It's a good thing to get out of Dodge. Get away from the leering eyes, the wagging tongues, the flying rocks. She went to the hill country where nobody knew her. Where nobody knew her story. Where she wouldn't have to try to convince anybody what the angel had told her. Where she would just be another pregnant woman in a small village. So she went to her cousin's home, Elizabeth. And as she got close to Elizabeth's home, the Holy Spirit told Elizabeth everything that had happened to Mary. And as they greeted each other, Elizabeth affirmed her and said, You are blessed, Mary, because you've believed the Lord would do everything He said. And it's as if that's the final confirmation she needed. That God was going to be with her in this challenging time. And Mary begins a beautiful prayer, a powerful prayer that's recorded in Luke. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He's been mindful of the humble state of His servant. It's like she's reviewing everything that's happened in whatever time has passed. Said, This has been rough, God. And you know what I've been through. And from this point on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but He's lifted up the humble. He's he's filled the hungry with good things, but He's sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. It's an amazing prayer. And to think that this teenage girl facing the troubles and challenges that were ahead of her offers a prayer so rich in hope and trust, it's just mind-boggling. That poor peasant peasant girl prayed a prayer that had dynamite in it. It was a turning point in her life. Seems like now she is completely accepting what's ahead. God, you've been faithful to me in the past. You've done great things in my life. Not only in my life, but in the the, the history of our nation. And I know you'll see me through. She catches a glimpse and says, this isn't just about me. It's bigger than me. And you're going to redeem our nation. You're going to save our people. And in this process that Mary goes through, she teaches us a lot about honesty in our prayer life. When trouble comes, she teaches us that it's okay to ask God questions, to struggle when trouble comes. I don't need to convince anybody in the room about the simple fact that trouble is going to come in our lives. We've all experienced it. The Bible's honest about it. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. I think sometimes we get confused, though. And think that Jesus came to make our life easier. He didn't. He came to make it better. He came to give it richness. He came to give it meaning and depth and texture. But he didn't come to make it simpler or easier. You just have to look at Mary's life to see that. And so when the tough things in life come, and they do, tough things like a spouse pulls away 
and shows no inclination to reconcile. Or that job that you need so badly doesn't seem to be on the horizon. Or that rebellious child continues to cause pain. Or illness strikes you or someone you love. It's natural to have questions. They're the first things that come into our mind. Mary questioned God. When Gabriel said, this is what's going to happen to you, Mary's first response was, how can that be? How in the world can this happen to me? God, I'm a good, God-fearing Jewish girl. I've kept the law. I'm a virgin. I'm engaged to Joseph. I mean, have you checked it out? We're good people, you know? He's a great guy. We've got a great future ahead. We've got a wedding day we're planning. I've kept the law. You're telling me I'm going to get pregnant? These things don't happen. This is God's favor? Now we know from the story that God didn't strike her dead for asking questions. You read the Bible, you find that all kinds of people ask God questions when things happen. Jeremiah, one of God's prophets, had horrible things happen in his life. And at one point, he comes to the place of saying, God, you promised all of these things in my life, and they're not happening. I feel like you're lying to me. Isaiah, God called him to do incredible things, and he said, wait, wait, wait. God, are you sure you've got the right guy? I'm just a shepherd. He questioned. David struggled in tough times and said, God, I'm not even sure you're listening when I pray. Are you there? You read the Bible, there's authenticity in troubled times in the prayers that people offer. And God never, ever says, wait, 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 you don't don't pray like that. He hears the prayers. He allows the questions. It's okay to question, to wonder why. And it's the natural response that all of us have when trouble comes. And maybe why is the first natural response we have. Why is this happening? Why is it happening to me? To us? Why now? The hard part of that why is that in most cases we may never get an answer. We may never understand. And it's hard because that's the answer our heart hungers for most. What I've found in my own life and in walking with people though is that we may never answer the question why, what we can know when trouble comes is how God responds to us in the midst. How he feels towards us. We know that because we can follow Jesus through the Gospels and see how he responds to people in trouble. God put a face on that in the life of Jesus. We see how Jesus responds to a parent who lost her only child. How Jesus responded to a chronically ill woman who spent all of her money and most of her life trying to find health and wholeness. To a Roman official who had a man who worked for him who was seriously ill. In all of those instances and more, when Jesus encountered sick people, hurting people, he moved towards them. He was moved to tears. He had empathy and sympathy. He cared deeply. And God cares deeply when we're hurting, when we're in trouble, and moves towards us and welcomes our questions and offers hope when we come to Him. 
think we also learn that it's okay to ask God to change our circumstances. The Bible gives us a clear picture, picture of a God who listens to our prayers and responds. The Bible tells us of prophets and apostles who prayed for physical healing and even the resuscitation of dead bodies. It tells us of Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth as four women who prayed against their infertility. Of Daniel who prayed in the lion's den to be protected just like his three friends who were thrown into a fiery furnace and prayed for protection. It tells us of God sending the prophet Isaiah, the most God-connected person in his time, who went to King Hezekiah to say because of his life and the way he was living and leading, (laughs) that his death was imminent. And Hezekiah turned and repented and asked God for more time. And before Isaiah could even leave the palace grounds, God changed his mind and granted Hezekiah 15 more years of life. Our prayers make a difference. Our prayers can change our circumstances. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And God hears and he's attentive to our prayers. It says we don't have sometimes because we simply don't ask. So there's nothing, we feel this way, but there's nothing selfish or weak or immature about us asking God to help us when troubles come. Asking God to change our circumstances. Asking God to alter what's going on in our life. Just laying that in front of Him boldly. But remembering when we do that God has the wisdom and the freedom to say no. And that may be one of the toughest parts of that prayer. To understand that God may look at us and say, no, I'm not going to change your circumstances. And I don't pretend to understand why. Why he looks down and says no to some prayers and yes to others. There are times after 30 years of walking with people as a pastor that we've prayed together and I can look back and later look back and understand why the no came. Honestly, there are some situations that still baffle me. Why in two very similar situations we've prayed and one person got a job and the other one still struggles. One person recovered from a heart attack or cancer and another one didn't. I've been with people in tough circumstances. I've seen some prayers answered in incredible ways and some apparently not. But looking back, I have seen God do some incredible things in those times. And so I still ask. And then I've seen God change circumstances when we've prayed. I've seen Him change them in ways that we didn't ask for. Ways that were far wiser, far better. If I had been with Mary and prayed with her, I probably would have prayed for a different outcome to her pregnancy, her circumstance. Might I, being a little skeptical, might not have believed her story. But in her circumstance, God changed things in her life. She carried Jesus to full term. She was protected. 
Jewish law wasn't carried out. She wasn't killed. Her life was spared. She had many more children with Joseph. Her marriage was spared. Her life was changed. Looking at her life from this side of history, we have incredible gratitude. And we see things differently than she may have in the middle of it. And others certainly saw it differently than we did. So I think in all of that, in the circumstances, it becomes a matter of trust for us, just like it was for Mary. The ability to walk with God through the tough times, to believe that he loves us, to believe that he knows what's best for us, no matter what it may feel like in the time. What I have found to be true in tough times is that they help me to know God in a way that the good times never can. And that I need both to help me grow. I've also learned that God often chooses my weaknesses and not my strengths. And that's the toughest lessons of all. I would much rather be the person on the podium giving an acceptance speech than second place. I'd much rather be the one up there thanking my parents, my spouse, my kids for whatever the award is that I'm getting, and then at the very end be the one who says, and I want to thank God for the talents and the abilities he's given me that's brought me to this place. I want to be the guy in the end zone that scores the touchdown spikes the ball, and then points to heaven and lets everybody who's watching know that I'm giving God the credit and the glory, right? That's what we want to be, right? We want to be Tim Tebow last year in Denver, not Tim Tebow this year in New York. We want God to use our strength, not our weakness. We want God to leverage our talent, our accomplishment, our strengths for his glory, not our weakness, Mary's strength all of her life had been her purity, her faith, her devout life for God. It was the reason she found favor with God. She was an amazing young woman. But in an instant, all her credibility in the eyes of her community was gone. She was an outcast. She was an evil woman with a sordid past. Whispers followed her everywhere she went in Nazareth. And when her son Jesus came home to teach... He had no honor. For Mary, the virgin birth, the honor of carrying the Son of God became a weakness in her story. The one part of her story that brought joy to her heart when she thought about it also cast a long shadow on her life for those who didn't believe. What some viewed as a weakness, God used to redeem the world. Mary prayed, the mighty one has done great things for me. And then she listed the things that God has done. He showed mercy. He fed the hungry. He protected and helped Israel throughout the centuries. He did everything he promised. When I hear Mary's prayer, what I hear is her accepting that God is going to use this weakness in her life in an amazing way. And that's a tough prayer to pray. God, I'd rather you use my strength than my weakness, my brokenness. But you've done great things through me in the past, Mary's saying. 
You've done great things for me, for our nation, so I trust you. She didn't get there quickly. We read that and we see it just a few verses separated. There's time in there. Maybe months. We don't know how long. But Mary had to get ready for a trip, make the journey to Elizabeth's home. When there's trouble in our life, that jump from the arrival of the trouble to being able to pray that kind of a prayer that says, God, I'll trust you to use my weakness, that takes time. You have to work through the pain. We have to wrestle with God. To come to the place of accepting that in spite of our prayers, God's not going to change our circumstances. He's going to work in the weakness in our life. The things may not turn out the way we've asked or we want them to. It takes time to get that perspective on God's faithfulness and to recognize that His grace is sufficient for whatever we're facing. That's a different side of grace that we don't talk about a lot. Grace in that context gives us the ability. Grace gives us the strength to put one foot in front of the other, to get up and face another day, to keep going in spite of the fact that nothing around us has changed. I'd like it a whole lot better if God changed some of the circumstances in my life and forgets about my weaknesses. But I think God does some of his best work in our weakness. Gabriel gave Mary a message from God. And in response, Mary offered a simple prayer. May everything you've said about me come true. Her life changed in amazing ways. By the customs of her community, her wedding was canceled and all the things she'd hoped and dreamed for were gone. But a new set of dreams replaced them. Her life didn't get easier, but it got better. And I really believe she had no idea what was ahead of her in the next 30 or 40 years of her life when she prayed that prayer. She didn't know about the joys and she didn't know about the sorrows that the next 30 years would contain. And I'm sure she had a million questions and fears and doubts. She was human after all. But she made this simple faith commitment to God that said, I'm going to trust you no matter what. I want to have that kind of faith. God wants us to have that kind of faith. A faith that's strong enough so that no matter what happens, we trust him. And whether our every dream is realized or in an instant they all go up in smoke, we'll still hunger to be intimately involved with Him in our lives. So that we'll have the courage to be like Mary when troubles come in our life. To keep our eyes fixed not on our circumstances, not on the obstacles in our life, but to keep our eyes fixed on God and His faithfulness through our lives and to trust Him enough to take His hand and to walk into the unknown.
and to take another risk for him.